Hello and welcome to Max Politics. This is Ben Max from Gotham Gazette, a publication of Citizens Union Foundation. Thanks very much for tuning in here for the show. We're speaking on Thursday, February 23rd, 2023. On this episode of the show, we are talking about black political power in New York. We can and have pegged this conversation to it being Black History Month, but this is obviously a conversation for any time of year and any year in New York and beyond. It's a conversation that entered a new phase in recent years with the ascension of a long list of Black political leaders in New York, including, of course, the city's second ever Black mayor, Eric Adams, winning election in 2021 and beginning his tenure in 2022. That list includes the state's attorney general, Letitia James of Brooklyn, the lieutenant governor, Antonio Delgado, the state's two legislative leaders, Assembly Speaker Carl Hastie of the Bronx and State Senate Majority Leader Andrew Stewart-Cousins of Westchester. It includes New York City public advocate Jamani Williams, New York City Council Speaker Adrian Adams, Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg, Bronxborough President Vanessa Gibson, Queensborough President Donovan Richards, and others and others and others. The list is, of course, incomplete without the newly minted U.S. House of Representatives Minority Leader, Congressman Hakeem Jeffries of Brooklyn. He's poised, you never know in politics, but he's poised now to potentially be the next Democratic Speaker of the House, an immensely powerful position. He is also now a leader of New York's House delegation that includes other top black officials like Congresswoman Yvette Clark of Brooklyn, Gregory Meeks of Queens. Several of the individuals I mentioned, including Jeffries, are the first black person to ever hold their position. They've joined an important registry and legacy and list that includes my guest today, Keith Wright as well as figures like Mayor David Dinkins, Governor David Patterson, Congressman Charlie Rangel, and others and others. Those names, including Keith Wright, my guest today, some of them were products and producers of Harlem politics. As a county party leader, Keith Wright is also one of four black officials who lead the city's county parties outside of Staten Island on the Democratic side. He's joined by Brooklyn leader, Assemblymember Rodney Bichotte, Queens leader, the aforementioned Congressman Gregory Meeks, Bronx leader, State Senator Jamal Bailey. It is a truly remarkable moment for black political leadership in New York. How did it happen? What does it all mean? What happens next? Especially at a moment where there's been such a growth in black political power, but New York City has also been losing black population over the course of the last many years. Keith Wright joins me momentarily to discuss black political power in New York, past, present, and future, his own experiences serving over two decades in the New York State Assembly, running for other offices, being a key player in many other political projects and pursuits. Keith Wright is currently the leader of the Manhattan Democratic Party, a vice chair in the New York State Democratic Party, which he formerly co-chaired. And since leaving the assembly in 2017, he's been working at the firm Davidoff, Hutcher, and Citron LLP, where he is the director of strategic planning for their government relations group. Keith Wright will join me in just one moment. First, very briefly, if you've missed any recent episodes of the show, you can find them all at Max Politics, wherever you get podcasts, or we have them all at the Gotham Gazette website. I won't go into the full list, but we've had some really great conversations in recent weeks and months, including with a few of the borough presidents of the city. And we've got Vanessa Gibson coming up next week. But I've recently, in recent weeks and months, spoken with Manhattan Borough President Mark Levine, the aforementioned Queensborough President Donna Richards, and Brooklyn Borough President Antonio Reynoso, among many other great guests. And in recent weeks, I've uh, had some experts on to discuss a couple of really important issues. One, why does it cost so much more in New York to build out the subway? And two, digging into the details of what's happening with so many tens of thousands of asylum seekers arriving in New York City. So you can find all those discussions and more at Max Politics, wherever you get podcasts or the Gotham Gazette website. And of course, at GothamGazette.com, you can find all of our reporting, which is the bulk of what we do uh, at, at the at the site. All right. Keith Wright, thank you for being here. Thank you for taking the time. I appreciate it. How are you? I'm well. Thank you for having me, Ben. It's a pleasure to join you this morning. 
So as I as I'm going through this list of the many black political leaders in New York today, what's going through your mind? Or uh, it's obviously not news to you, <laughs> but how do you assess this this current uh, <laughs> moment we're in of of an immense amount of black political leadership? Now it's been for decades that there's been growing and more black political leadership in New York, but correct me if I'm wrong, this really feels like a, a, a new and heightened phase of black political leadership in New York. How do you assess the moment we're in? Well, you know, it's interesting. And all of the names that you've mentioned are certainly folks that I have served with, interacted with, um, uh, uh, grown up politically, so to speak, with. And it, it, I've never really thought about it until uh, you you were talking and 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 speaking of their names um i listen i chalk it up to folks um some folks older than others but folks you know in in our communities wanting to make our communities a better place i chalk it up to competency i talk it up to absolute chalk it up to absolute competency all of those names that you mentioned they're all extremely intelligent, extremely competent uh, folks that have um, decided that public service was their calling. Um, and 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 the other thing is that it's it's it, it is is I mean it, it, it's not it, it, it there's nothing you can't uh, put any of these folks in a cookie cutter. Mm-hmm. They're not homogeneous. I mean, they're not, they're all different. Um, they all may have some different philosophies um, on, on certain issues. Uh, you can't pigeonhole them just because they're black. Mm-hmm. You can't do that. Uh, and um, and we all have had different, I guess, well, we've all been trained, I guess, by different people. Because, I mean, who you are trained by who you come up with as 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 as, as a staff person if you will uh because most of the folks that you've mentioned were staff people i guess in politics i'll never forget uh when i got out of law school uh the only thing i really wanted to do was work for charlie Rangel because i was mm-hmm. um you know i of course i'd grown up um I, I was able to. Adam Clayton Powell was my congressperson, and I'd grown up uh, listening to the, you know, listening to this larger-than-life political figure who um, everyone throughout the nation was talking about. And I was so proud that he was my congressperson and all the things that he had done. And and and, but you know, and, and of course that didn't work out <laughs> working for Charlie Rangel. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but then I made a. Um, decision that I wanted to be his peer, if you will. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so then I started working for, um, I'll never forget when I got my last unemployment check uh, for the city of New York. And uh, this was 1984. Um, Dave Dickens was running for Manhattan Borough President. And um and I and, and then he called me to become his director of his Harlem office in 1985. And I became and I did, and he paid me, I think, twenty five thousand dollars in 1985. And uh, it was one of the best jobs that I've ever had I got to learn under David. Of course, I had known David. Um, uh, we lived in the same building and uh, um, a building in which I still live. Mm-hmm. I live in my same old rent stabilized apartment uh, and, and gladly to do so. So but, um, but, but a lot of these folks, you know, they've been trained by different people, trained in different ways. So, as I said, they, they're not homogeneous. But they sure. represent their communities well. Um, and certainly a guy like Alvin Bragg, you mentioned, I used to babysit this guy. <laughs> and, um, mm-hmm. and he has, um, I think, done us all very, very proud. You know, it's a key point you mentioned, obviously, um, this is you, you can't say, oh, this is a group of black elected officials and they all uh, are the same or they all think the you same or even they that. hold There's all no the way. same political positions. Of course no. not. No. And so but before before maybe we get into a little bit of, of that and the question of um, 
unity. And, and there was recently a, a summit focused on public safety that Reverend Al Sharpton, or Sharpton organized that brought a lot of these Black leaders together to talk about public safety and unity and trying not to uh, have as many public disagreements, perhaps, as there have been and 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 being more on the same page in terms of, um, you know, what's getting aired out in public and, and having more private conversations to be more unified. Um, say a little bit more about your upbringing in politics and sort of the the Harlem politics that you came up in in, in the in the 70s and the 80s and what the sort of atmosphere was around the question of black political power. Well, oh, God, um, my <laughs> upbringing in politics. And that's a that's a question that oh, I guess you're always trying to seek answers to. Uh, but I. I mean, I graduated from college in 1977 and um, I was searching for things to do and such. And in 1978, my father ran for a countywide Supreme Court uh, judgeship. And and you got to remember back in Manhattan, I think we had only had who the other only other countywide position was. Percy Sutton, who had been Manhattan Borough President, I think, from 66 to around 1974, 75, somewhere in there. So that was countywide. So my father, um, uh, who was appointed to um, the criminal court by, in 1970 uh, by then Mayor John Lindsay, um, my father had uh, received a lot of notoriety because of his bail policies. Uh, he was... Um, given the nickname by the Police Benevolent Association, or as he liked, my father liked to call it, the Police Malevolent Association. Mm-hmm. And um, and then he was not going to be reappointed by then Mayor Koch. And so, um, um, so he ran for a judgeship uh, for Supreme Court. So that first time that he ran in 1977, he didn't make it. But we were going all up and down the island, all up and down the island. And it was a big deal that a black guy was running for something throughout the borough of Manhattan. So 1978, with the help of a guy by the name of Denny Farrell, mm-hmm. who was then the county leader, uh, a black guy, a black assembly person from Washington Heights, and a guy by the name of Bill Lynch, who was the, um, I guess he was a labor organizer at that point. Um, And Bill Lynch was the campaign manager. And it was a woman from the Upper West Side, I'll never forget her. She became another campaign manager uh, by the name of Bobby Berlin, Elaine Bobby Berlin. And they took over my father's campaign because he didn't really, he he wasn't, Politically astute, let's just put it that way. Um, he was not a member of a political party at that point, even when he was appointed to judge. And he ran countywide. So I saw that. I saw that. I was exposed to that. And as luck would have it, we were able to win. And um, so then he got a 14-year uh, appointment uh, by being elected. So that's what I saw. Um, um, and I'll just to give you a an example of my, some of my father's political naivete. Um, uh, when he first ran for office, um, he had this campaign, made a campaign office, and, and he, but he was not supported by some of the local Harlem elected officials, specifically a guy by the name of Fred Samuel, who was the um, New York City councilman at that point. And uh, so one came after uh, the campaign was over. My father said he ran into Fred because he lived around the corner. He said, well, Fred, Fred, I ran for office, um, running for a judgeship. I mean, um, how come you didn't support me? I mean, I just I really could have used your support. Um, You know, I needed help. We could have won this thing. But but, you know, you didn't come on board. And Fred Samuel looked him dead in the eye. And I was there, I remember, I was, what, 22 years old? And Fred said, 
you never asked. <laughs> so that was that's well, a lesson for you, right? When you're starting your political that's career. A uh-huh. and that's a lesson, right? Exactly. Uh-huh. So the next time around, of course, my father asked uh, everybody. So yeah. but that was my first foray into politics. And then I I I, I volunteered. I volunteered on a number of campaigns after that because I enjoyed it. And mm-hmm. um Um, And I never knew people got paid to work on campaigns until I ran for office myself. And everybody said, well, you know, listen, you got to pay me for this. You got to pay me. (laughs) And you became a district leader. Well, in 1991. um, Yeah. And Dinkins won in 1989. And uh, and I was working for the um, MTA at that point in government affairs. But in 1991, and, and I had just had a, a child and, and just recently married and, and I was trying to you know make sure I had um, an income to support uh, the family and such. Sure. But I missed the hell out of politics, though, at that point. I was mm-hmm. missing it a lot. So, um, yes, uh, uh, with the help, uh, my first political partner, I guess, was a woman named C. Virginia Fields, uh, who became council person in Manhattan Borough President. And uh, she was looking for a co-district leader. And um, and she asked and I accepted. Um, and uh, in the political club, the political organization that we helped build uh, still stands to this day. And was that the moment where you knew, oh, this is where I'm heading? And then the run for assembly was pretty soon after that, right? Yeah, so, it was. It was. Um, were you? Did you know at that moment or were you still saying, I, I, I don't know what this I is wanted? Pretty- I knew I, I listen. I always knew that I wanted to be elected um, um, at some point. But, I, you know, I became district leader and, you know, I just was just trying to be uh I was just so excited to become a number one. I was so excited to be to have been asked, and number two, I was so excited to serve as a district leader. Let me just say this: you know, anytime you're elected or anything or any sort of position that you have in public service, it is not the most glamorous thing in the world. I just want to make that clear. Um, it's it's about public service. It's about service. Um, it's about helping Ms. Johnson with the shopping cart out of the St. Nicholas projects. It's about helping Ms. Rodriguez uh, in, 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 you know, in, in one of the tenement buildings, um, you know, uh, helping to fight her eviction, uh, making sure that Mr. Johnson or Mr. Williams does, you know, has his heat and hot water. That's really what it's all about. Um, um, and so I did that. And um, tried to keep uh, my political club uh, afloat. And we used to have, we were an odd political club. We used to have not monthly meetings, but we would have weekly meetings. Mm. And um, and because we wanted to keep people engaged. And, and yeah, it's a better way to organize, and right? We used to do a weekly meeting. And, and, um, and we do it to this day. But it's... Um, uh, uh, and so that's so you, so, you quickly, how, so so the next year, I'm sorry, yeah, yeah I'll get back to the question. Um, <laughs> the next year, we uh, the current assembly person is a woman by the name of Geraldine Daniels, and um, and uh, we got wind that she was not going to run again and she wanted to bequeath the seat to her son. And of course, all of the Harlem elected officials and such lined up behind her son, who was a commissioner or something of uh, the state liquor authority. And, um, and, uh, and and about nine people ran just like like for any open seat. You'll always have a lot of people that will run some qualified, yeah. some not uh, some not not to qualify. <laughs> so um, I was one of the persons that ran. And as I said, I mean, you know, Charlie Rangel, Percy Sutton, Carl McCall, a lot of the folks, they lined up behind um, Geraldine's uh, son. And there was another woman that ran in that race, a woman named uh, Peggy Shepard, who um, was able to get a lot of the union, the labor union support, Mm -hmm. whether it's 1199 and DC 37. So, um, I mean, you know, it's, 
I had relatives. So how'd you pull that one out? How, yeah, how do you, how yeah, do you win that? That, that was the question. Well, I mean, listen, I was I was a known commodity yeah. in the neighborhood, as I said, that my father was a very well, he was a lawyer for uh, many, many years, and he was a judge for many years uh, who had achieved a lot of notoriety. My mother also was the principal of the local public school across the street from where I lived. Well, I never went to that school. Um, I did spend a lot of time in the principal's office. Uh, um, but uh, so, I, I mean, I was I'd helped a lot of people when I worked for uh, Dave Dinkins uh, mm-hmm. as a director at Harlem office. Sure, so, you, weren't, you weren't a nobody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I was a known commodity mm-hmm. and, uh, to some extent. And uh, and we worked very hard. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I must have knocked on at least 5,000 doors uh, myself. And um, and people vote for different reasons. They will vote for you because you come to their church. They'll vote for you if you come to their little, I don't know, uh, four-year-old son's birthday party. Mm-hmm. They'll vote for you if you come to the uh, sixth grade graduation. I did all of those things yeah. and, and did all of those things. And uh, But it'll vote for you. I mean, if you uh, have a sweatsuit on rather than a shirt and tie, I mean, people vote for different. But you got at something um, that I wanted to ask you about where you said, you know, this work is about helping and you, you know, you gave a Absolutely. couple of examples of people. Absolutely. And and so I'm, I'm interested in this question of, you know, your um, your memories of how sort of the, um, you know, the Harlem um, project of electing more black leaders to office, as you said, there was this, you know, progression of, uh, getting into countywide positions from more localized offices, right. Which are, um, you know, could be Harlem based in the state legislature, the city council and so forth, but to go countywide and then to go citywide, this is, these are efforts at, uh, organizing, fundraising, coalition building, and so forth. And they're to win elections, but also at the base of that is about helping people and often, of course, trying to make sure that the Black residents and voters of New York City are not ignored by the power structures. Say a little bit about what that mindset was like in those years of the 70s and 80s and and into Dinkins's win in the in the 89 mayoral race and this sort of, you know, he he had to he had to run several times to be borough president. Right. He had to be convinced to run for mayor once he finally won that position. Um, I remember we actually had him on a prior version of the show a few years back before his before his recent passing, of course. And he talked about how he finally got that position of Manhattan borough president that he'd been trying so hard for. He didn't want to take a chance of leaving it to run for mayor, but he had to be convinced. Um, but say say a little bit about sort of what that um, that culture and that atmosphere was like in terms of the project of winning seats outside of Harlem and winning countywide as your father did, and winning citywide as Dinkins did, and and what that sort of um, mindset was like in terms of being able to, as you said, help people. <clears throat> well, I don't know if there was one thing. Well, I was or take I, issue. Yeah. Take issue with my framing of the question, please. No, 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 not at all. Not at all. Um, I guess what I'm, I mean, I was there when David ran for borough president two times mm-hmm. and he ran against some formidable got formidable people. Andrew Stein who at that point was might have been the city council president or or Andrew Stein uh, or he was Manhattan borough president. Let me just put it that way. And I think they had some head to head battles. And you got to remember in 1985, when David finally ran, he ran against um, a guy by the name of Jerry Nadler, uh, uh, who from the Upper West Side. So. And, and then when he did finally win and he was borough president for four years, I would, that's when I was working for him. Right. And you're right. He did have to be convinced because, you know, um, Dave was not a rich man. Dave was not rich. And um, he, when he became borough president and his wife was working at the at the tax department, uh, you know, they were a middle class black family. Um, who just couldn't shirk any income. So, yes, he had to be convinced. And I'm glad he was. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and Dave was a consensus builder. He was a coalition builder. I mean, that's that's what he did. He believed in that. Um, and, 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 and quite frankly, I remember he ran against, I think, Jay Golden, Ed Koch, 
and someone else um, ran in that race. It was a four or five way race, but he ran for mayor in 1980 in the Democratic primary. And yeah. Ed Gottschalk just finished up, I think, his third term, I believe. And, uh, and, and he did win. But I don't think there was any any sort of um, uh, uh, conspiracy, for want of a better word, or 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 agenda um, to, uh, I guess, to run for other offices. Um, you know, it kind of grew organically. Mm-hmm. Um, at that point, I mean, we had Charlie Rangel at one point, I guess, during the 70s, and they were always uh, trying to uh, talk him into running against Ed Koch. Um, you had Basil Patterson at that point, who people were trying to uh, talk about running against Ed Koch for mayor. Because, I mean, this, you know, I guess at that point, you know, the, the black community in particular um, knew it to be time for um for a change, but also the, if I'm, because I remember being in a room with Bill Lynch and they were counting, uh, I guess the black population of the city at that point might've been somewhere around 20, 25%. The Latino population may have been around the same, which, you know, they were counting up votes and if they could organize people of color and, 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 and certainly you're, you know, you, uh, some of your, your white, uh, more liberal leadership, um, put in anybody that can put that coalition together would win citywide. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what David did. And that's what David did. Um, but I don't know if there was any, and it, and it might have been a planned agenda for that particular race, but I don't know what, and I don't know if it really, um, if there was any planned agenda uh, for the outgrowth of it, I think just kind of happened organically. And then you get, you start, listen, if white folks could win in black communities, why couldn't black folks win in white communities? Mm -hmm. Um, uh, I mean, you take a woman like Andrea Stewart Cousins from Westchester. Mm -hmm. Uh, She was a county legislator, um, the most expensive county in the United States of America. I'm sure all of her voters were not all black. And she um, and she ran against a rather powerful sitting Republican incumbent, a man by the name of Nick Spano, who was the county leader at that point um, in Westchester. So um, um, and I look at a guy like Antonio Delgado now, who mm-hmm. who, who who won in a district for Congress that was a 98 percent white district. Uh, we're talking about up, up in uh, up in Kingston somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so Saugerties, I mean, towns you've never even heard of. Uh, <laughs> a lot of people, anyway. But you know, so I don't think I think it. I think that kind of grew organically. Um, and he said, "Well, if Dave Dinkins can do it, I can do it too." And uh, and and that's the way it happened, basically. But right. you got to remember. I mean, Tip O'Neill said, all politics is local. If you ain't taking care of your local politics, you are not going anywhere. Right. And that's key. You have to have if you're if you're going outside of your home base, you have to have your base unified and then you have to build coalitions as you're getting that. Right. And so, um, you know, we saw that obviously with, as you say, David Dinkins's win. Then we see a different version of a coalition in, in Eric Adams's win. Uh, we obviously saw in Bill de Blasio's win a coalition um, somewhat similar to the Dinkins coalition, right, um, in in uh, the 2013 mayoral race. Um, sit, say a little bit about what's happening in Harlem politics today. Obviously, Harlem and how that how that relates to changes in Harlem, period. This is um, obviously an area of the city. There's been a lot of attention on changes in Harlem, demographic changes, gentrification, uh, loss of black population in Harlem and other parts of the city. Um, Give a little assessment of what's happening in in Harlem broadly and how it's impacting Harlem politics and what what you're trying to do there to um, continue to make sure that that Harlem has the representation that it needs in government and how you're organizing in Harlem and in Manhattan. Well, I mean, certainly it all starts in the city level. And I think we kind of um, uh, we're in somewhat of a hiccup mode right now. 
with the current city council person uh, who I never had a conversation with, uh, who, as oh, far wow. as I'm concerned, doesn't uh, really represent a lot of the folks um, um, uh, that she's um, that she's serving. Uh, I can guarantee you that most folks um, in Harlem at this moment don't really know her name. And so, so now we're going through a um, a city council race right now because um, I mean, look, you know, she's obviously um, uh, sparked a lot of attention from folks that don't want her to be city council person. Um, so we're going through a race right now and. Uh, you have um, um, uh, Assemblyman Al Taylor, who's running for that position. Uh, you have um, Assemblywoman Inez Dickens running for that position. But you also have a gentleman who I think is uh, creating a lot of excitement right now uh, for that race, a gentleman by the name of Youssef Salam. Mm-hmm. And Youssef Salam certainly is getting a lot of publicity because of his run, because he's formerly one of the... Um, Central Park Five, uh, yes. now known as the Exonerated Five, and uh, they were wrongly convicted of the brutal rape of a woman in Central Park in 1989. And uh, and who can ever forget that uh, Donald Trump took out a full page ad calling for the death penalty. And uh, and I'll tell you, Yousef's mother was an absolute hero because uh, mm-hmm. she just knew. Uh, that her son was not uh, guilty of this crime. And she, a lot of times she was like the lone person out there, you know, talking about that he was innocent, that he was innocent, and he was innocent. And, and he served, ooh, I think, a little over, well over seven years in jail, that, starting at the age of 15. Yeah. Starting at the age of 15. And I'm, I'm very happy that he's decided to uh, throw his hat into the ring and come, come back and try and... Uh, make his community a better mm-hmm. one. So is, is he, it sounds a little bit like he's your candidate in the race, but I, I like I him. Yes. I mean, I have not endorsed uh, mm-hmm. in the race as of yet, but, uh, but he's um, now that's I, a tricky race. You have a, a council member elected in 2021, Christian Richardson, Jordan in a very crowded race. Now it did have ranked choice voting. So she still had to yeah. have, you know, enough second and third right. and fourth exactly. place support, yeah. but it was a very, very crowded race. I, I moderated a debate in that race. It was, it was like the, nine people. It was one of the hardest jobs I've ever had moderating. Yeah, how many people was it been? Like about yeah, nine it, it was, I think I had nine or 10 in the debate and yeah. there might've been a couple others on the ballot. So that was, it was right. quite, right. a, quite a race. Um, but and with ranked choice voting, you just don't know. You See, that's a know. new. I don't. I don't even know how to calculate anything with that. You know, I'm. I'm, I'm still. I'm still stuck in a, a time warp to a certain extent because I still haven't really figured out ranked choice. Yeah. Well, it, it. It. Yeah. It gets a little tricky when you have to think about you know the second and third and fourth place votes. Yeah. You usually it, it results in a. The idea behind it, right, is that you have a winner that is more of a consensus pick in a crowded field. Now, that didn't happen in this case. There's a lot of ways to perhaps look back at this. That did not happen in this case. So you have this really, uh, there's going to be a lot of focus on the city council primary, which is coming up in June, by the way, for folks listening who haven't, yeah, who haven't tuned into this yet. So you just named three prominent challengers to the sitting council member. Um, Sounds like. Sounds like you have a favor in the race. So, but so that gets at the root of, of, um, well, two things. One, um, how important is it? And and it sounds like this won't be an issue in this election, but how important is it as you look forward? Because we just went through this redistricting process. And one of the things that happened in redistricting was there was a lot of consternation. I don't know how much it got talked about publicly a little bit, I think, but there was a lot of question about this is the potentially the last redistricting of Harlem in the city council that will ensure there is a black plurality or majority voting population in that district that if current trends continue, that might not be the case. How important is it as you look to the future, probably beyond this race, as we just talked about, all the candidates mentioned are black, but um, how important is it for Harlem to be represented by, by black leaders and to and to continue to hold on to that identity, that history uh, amid demographic changes? Oh, I think it's very important. Um, listen, I, I, as I told you, I live in the same Harlem apartment that I grew up in. Uh, and I, I know what Harlem was. I know what it has been. And I know I, I have a vision of what I think it could be. Now, of course, there are no more 
homogeneous um, neighborhoods anymore. Uh, not that I can name, not in the city of New York. We all live all over the place, um, um, except maybe for Park Avenue. Uh, but I mean, I just can't really think of any real homogeneous neighborhoods anymore, even out there in Crown Heights and such, because uh, we're all forced to live together. Because mm-hmm. uh, if we don't, there's going to be a problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think, you know, Harlem has always been the the, the cultural mecca of, of the black community. And I think it's important that we keep hold of our cultural um, values. Uh, white folks ain't coming up to Harlem to move up to Harlem because they like black folks so much. They're coming up to Harlem because, you know, it, it's cheaper and they want to stay in Manhattan. These are some of the white folks that are getting priced out of the market in Gramercy Park, uh, whether it's in Soho uh, or the Upper West Side or Upper East Side. And you can still continue to live in Manhattan. And, 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 and that's fine. As long as you're good to the neighborhood, you, you know, good for the neighborhood, it, 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 it's fine because we all have to live together uh, as far as I'm concerned. But I think it's important that uh, that the neighborhood certainly keep its uh, its, its its cultural values um, um, uh, as much as we're able. Now, that being said, you look at certain neighborhoods. I remember, I guess, back in the 50s or the 60s, you know, when black folks were in Brooklyn or in uh, Queens or in, or in Manhattan, if you will, they wanted to buy their first home. They went out to East Elmhurst, Queens, where Malcolm X lived, uh, Louis Armstrong lived, uh, James Brown, I think, had a house out there. Uh, and so now East Elmhurst is now has lost a lot of its black population. And and to a certain extent, it's, 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 it's a lot of immigrants. So neighborhoods go through evolutions. East Harlem, I remember when East Harlem which is the cultural mecca of the Puerto Rican community. Uh, East Harlem was Italian. I will never forget that. That's why you have that restaurant, Rayo's, that's still over there in East Harlem. So every neighborhood goes through a, a, a an evolution, if you will. I mean, it's just it's very cyclical, and I mean, it's just it's just a matter. I mean, I remember when Washington Heights used to be all Irish, <laughs> used to be all Irish, and now it's um, mainly a Dominican neighborhood. So, you know, each neighborhood goes through its um its evolution. Uh, and for the most part, it's organic. Whether it's for Harlem or or elsewhere in the city. I, I went through this roster and it wasn't even a complete one, but I, I, I mentioned so many of these prominent black elected officials now. Do you have, you know, what do, what do, what do they need to do to make sure they're delivering for black voters and black New Yorkers? Are there things they need to focus on more, less, uh, differently to make sure that, you know, because I don't know that I named a single official who didn't get elected with a base of black voters, a very strong base of black voters. And listen, that's true, you know, obviously in um, in Democratic primaries for so many of these officials, because that was the key race for them to win. But then also in general elections, Governor Hochul, her her election was was really saved seemingly by black voters in New York City, especially Mm -hmm. Um, that gets into general elections a bit more. But in terms of elected officials in the city, from Mayor Eric Adams to public advocate Jamani Williams and the borough presidents I mentioned and others, are there things you think they need to focus on more or less differently to make sure that they're delivering on the things you mentioned earlier in the conversation, those those things about just doing the service and making sure that people are being helped when they need help, they're being lifted up when they need to be lifted up, et cetera? Um, are there things that need to be refocused on or focused on differently in your mind? Well, what affects black New Yorkers probably affects mostly all New Yorkers. Mm-hmm. I mean, we want a um, we want our kids to be educated correctly. Uh, we want um, equal access to health care. Uh, we want make sure that our kids and grandkids can get a good job. We want them to be able to uh, uh, find someplace affordable to live. Uh, Quite frankly, I don't know how some of these kids are going to be able to do it when they get out of college and stuff. If they're suffering with student loan uh, debt and trying to find an apartment. I mean, I remember I was basically on my own when I was 17 years old Uh, and I I got my own apartment at age, I don't know, 23. 
but you know, so black New Yorkers, what black New Yorkers want and need is not mutually exclusive from what all New Yorkers need. Now, I will say this, there's certain issues that do come up that probably affect uh, um, black New Yorkers and brown New Yorkers more than uh, white New Yorkers. Um, I mean, the situation concerning bail reform. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's very important. I remember my father was, was talking about bail reform back in the 1970s and he practiced it. Um, he practiced it, practiced it. Um, um, and it's, um, you know, so that, that, that's a situation that criminal justice is something that, 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 that I think that all black elected officials need to look at and need to focus on and pay, pay, pay some real attention to. Mm-hmm. And then as you, as you listed off some of those other issues, I mean, immediately that some of the current debates that pop to mind relate to the growth of charter schools, uh, questions yeah. around housing development, obviously that's going to that's going to be a major issue in the city council race we were talking about, about the approach to development and, and careful development, but the importance of new development and making sure there are housing opportunities for people so that, as you say, when white people are moving into Harlem, they're not just outbidding and displacing black That's, people looking for places. I'll to never forget. In. I'll never forget when I ran for Congress uh, and I lost it by one, lost by one point, one percentage point. And um, 2016. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, who's counting anyway? Sorry, not, not to bring it up. You brought it up. I did. I did. Well, I mean, I'm, no, I'm, a politician. I'm a politician in recovery at the yes. moment. Uh, so but I'll never forget the main issue. That, that I that I was trying to spread far and wide. And one of the main issues I was running on is that the way, I guess, the calculation, the how how affordable housing is calculated, and it's a federal calculation. Um, and and I wanted to change that calculation. Uh, when you have when you have uh, the, the basis of what's what's affordable goes to something called the area median income and how that's calculated. So they they calculate the av- the area median income of all the five boroughs, right? All the five boroughs. And, and I think some surrounding counties. Well, now I'm going to get to that. Right. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. And I'm going to get to that. So all the five boroughs, and then they bring into the equation. The, the county of Rockland County and Westchester County, two of the richest counties in the United States of America. So that brings up what is, uh, I guess, deemed affordable when, when really it isn't affordable. Uh, so I wanted to change that dynamic because clearly our, our folks are having a problem, you know, finding a place to live finding a place to live, which is paramount in New York City to try and make sure that this um, uh, this city of ours can stay affordable. Speaking of your 2016 race, uh, and I know we only have a few more minutes together here, I'm speaking with uh, Keith Wright, uh, former assembly member, leader of the Manhattan Democratic Party, uh, among among many other titles. Um, That race was a crowded field. There was no ranked choice voting in that race, of course, for Congress, Democratic primary. Um, You narrowly lost to now Congressman Adriano Espaillat in the race to to succeed Charlie Rangel. And of course, uh, Espaillat had had run against Rangel prior. Um, Were there lessons from that race about trying to ensure more unity uh, among black political candidates and black political clubs? in the area was was there anything you took away from that that said we can't let this type of thing happen again because seemingly if you had been the only black candidate in the race you you would have won more than likely yes and i tried um and we did have unity uh mm-hmm. in the neighborhood behind my candidacy no sure you, you're oh, no, we had, away, yeah, we, yeah. i mean we won manhattan we won Manhattan, mm-hmm. uh, the Upper West Side, East Harlem, um, um, Central Harlem, uh, uh, and we, we we won the votes in Manhattan. Uh, we just, I mean, I got my butt kicked in the Bronx. But yeah, that's the Bronx a, section oh, of the district, yeah, yeah. Got, mm-hmm. but that's okay. But what I'm saying, but the, the lesson that was learned, but the only problem we had, we had. 
two black people in the race who had no business being in the race. You had a woman named Susan Johnson Cook, who I think was clearly paid off to to be in the race. And number two, you had a guy named Clyde Williams, uh, who just because he, you know, uh, worked down in Washington, felt that he was, I guess, qualified to run for Congress. Neither one had really done any sort of public service beforehand. And quite frankly, no one has ever seen either one of them since. Hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, it's candidates like that sometimes that are that are obviously pretty difficult to get out of a race, right? Yeah. They, so they, they had they, no allegiance right. to anybody. Mm-hmm. I mean, this woman, Susan Johnson Cook, she 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 took an apartment uh across the street from where I live, and she 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 um used that apartment as her as her residence because she had never lived in Harlem before. She had never lived here before. And then after the race is over, she moved out to Sag Harbor. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, uh, so you have to have, you have to, each community has to have some degree of political um, um, discipline, if you will. Yeah. Let me ask you two more quick questions before I let you go. One, um, there's a lot of, uh, you know, discussion about the direction of the state the Democratic Party here in New York coming out of the 2022 elections where several House seats were lost, uh, state Senate seats in certain places, assembly seats in certain places, uh, the governor's fairly narrow margin, closest, you know, gubernatorial race in a couple decades. What do you think has to happen for the state party? Uh, what, what, what are the couple of biggest keys to, you know, sort of improving the how the state party is run in New York? Do you think it's time for new leadership? Should Jay Jacobs step aside? Where do you think the New York state party needs to go next? Well, I think I think Jay Jacobs has done a, 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 a wonderful job. Uh, he's the right person at the right time. I've known Jay Jacobs for uh, decades. And he's a real he's a real committed person to the state party process. Um, he's accessible. Um, I know that it, since we lost a couple of these races, uh, they want to. I mean, somebody's people are trying to put the blame on Jay Jacobs, and 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 it's it, 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 it's um, it's it's misdirected, if you will. Um, you got to remember, in all those congressional races. <laughs> Most of those races are run by the um, by the uh, Triple C. Yeah. And who was that uh, controlled by? By Sean Patrick Maloney, who was in the middle of his own race as well. Mm-hmm. So I think it's I think the um, to blame Jay Jacobs is 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 misdirected, if you will. Um, but there are people from Southern Brooklyn who say oh, sure. the state party is just not there for us. You know, it's not this is not just a Long Island congressional race thing. I mean, if if it's not on Jay Jacobs, as you say, what does Jay Jacobs need to do in the next phase of of leading the party? And, well, and not, obviously yeah, you're part I, of that, too. Yeah, no, that's a fair question. Um, and and. Every organization can always strive. You can always strive to be better. Um, um, do we in the city probably uh, would like to hear from the state party a little more? Probably, because mm-hmm. I know that the folks in the suburbs and the um, and and when I was state party chair, I I did a lot of work upstate um, um, and uh, and in the suburbs as well. So because mm-hmm. we. I mean, we have county parties that are very, very good. Uh, you name some of those county leaders. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rodney Spashat. I mean, I don't know. She's she's I'll, I'll just say she's like the James Brown of uh, county leaders. Uh, she's the hardest working woman and woman in, in, in politics in so many ways. Mm-hmm. Greg Meeks. I mean, who? Who's better than him? And some and, and, and Jamal Bailey, who's um, who works so hard. So, so I guess they, uh, we've never really had a reason to interact or rely on state parties. Uh, we in the city, I think they become more. Um, uh, I guess uh, your suburban and your upstate counties uh, tend to ac- try to access state parties more. But I think that will change. Mm-hmm. I think that will change. Um, um, you know, we have 62 counties in the, in the state of New York. And, uh, and my, yeah. And my last question here. actually relates to that. And I know I need to let you go, which is, is there a way that your Manhattan party that you lead can, can take, take a new, you know, take a new, uh, go into a new phase itself, take a new leadership role in terms of saying, you know what, 
we're not really running competitive general elections here in Manhattan. How can we sort of push the state party or how can we do more organizing or more fundraising or whatever it is? Is there a is there a way just to your to your point there that the Brooklyn Democratic Party, that the Manhattan Democratic Party and so forth should be rethinking how you do business related to the state party? Well, you got to remember, um, we in Manhattan, we have the luxury of uh, I don't think we have one Republican here. Uh, in in office, to be honest with you, I can't think of one. Can I don't you? think so. No. Nope. Yeah. Right. So we're good. You know what I mean? Let me put it that mm-hmm. way. We're good. And so what we do, we have such, we have some great activists um, uh, in 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 Manhattan. I mean, especially from that Upper West Side. Mm-hmm. Whenever they see a race in upstate New York or uh, even in other states, they they take buses and they go out to these other races and they start working along. Knocking doors. Yeah, no, they knock on doors. Uh, I mean, these are some folks that, um, uh, and and sometimes they can be young, but sometimes they can be old. They're walking around with walkers and and canes and such, but Mm -hmm. they're still doing the work. So, I mean, could we work more hand in hand with the state party? Possibly. Uh, and probably um, uh, we will be doing that as well. Just lastly, there's a discussion that a number of people have said, including Hakeem Jeffries, that there needs to be a real look at what happened in New York and and sort of an evaluation and assessment. Okay. So if you if you're giving your one sort of piece of feedback to that project, what what would it be? If Jay Jacobs is saying to you, you know, Keith, give me one one sort of uh, nugget for where I need to, you know, really think about the future of the state Democratic Party. What what do you say to him or what's your main sort of takeaway for him as you evaluate what's going on in New York politics for where the state Democratic Party should head in a in an evaluation of its performance to then improve upon it in 2024? Oh, God, um, don't know. Okay. Let me think about that. You'll get back to us on that. I'll get back to you now. All right. I appreciate it. Listen, let me let you go. Keith Wright, uh, appreciate all the time. Thanks for really uh, spending some time and and shedding some light on the history. I'll do do part two with you anytime. Sounds good. I have a lot more questions for you. So we'll get to those next time. I'd love to. Thanks very much. Appreciate it. Good conversation. Thank you so much. Thank you. (laughs) 